Hey, thanks for taking a few minutes today to tune in. We pray that no matter where you're listening from, these messages are engaging, encouraging, and relevant to where you are on your life's journey. We are starting a brand new series today called Asking for a Friend. And it's, it's this idea that there's so many people, I believe, in our society, in our world that want to believe in faith, want to understand what it is that many of us believe in what we call Christianity, but they have questions. So it's this idea that we're asking for a friend. It's questions that we've also had, I'm sure, and we may even still have. And maybe you're here today for the very first time, and you may have seen a social media post about what we're actually speaking about today. And it's kind of like, I'm asking for a friend, and it's kind of like, I want want to believe, but, and over the next seven weeks, yeah, seven weeks, I know that's a long time. Can you believe that seven weeks brings us up to Easter? And I hope by that time it's warmer than minus 30 outside, right? Yes, somebody. Um, I, and it's, it's just, is it actually true? Can anybody like, is anybody old enough to witness like, is this the coldest February in actually 40 years? That's what Facebook tells me, but is it actually yeah, it is. It's, it's like the coldest one. All right, we'll, we'll take, take you at your word for it. When Sean Lee and I decided to start Discovery Church, plant, uh, we had this dream of planting Discovery Church almost, just almost exactly two years ago, a little bit more. We came to a realization that 31.1% of our city don't even know that Jesus exists. Now, there's, there's thousands of more. That percentage goes way higher when we talk about the people that don't even uh, make, or don't follow Jesus, don't, uh, haven't made the decision to become a Christian. And this, this, this number, that's 320,000 people in our city that don't even know that Jesus exists. And that number weighed on Sean Lee and I so heavily that we were like, man, we got to start a church. Because we looked at the numbers of the, the amount of people that come to faith through a new church is, is astronomical compared to a, an established church. And even though it's, it's been tough and there's, there's, there's pros and cons, we are still so glad that we did it. And the more and more that we talk to people that are coming to faith every single week, the more that we realize that there's lots of questions that, that humans have about Christianity. And, and if the church, if we, if we sort of stare, stare away from them, answers never get uh, answered, and these, or these questions never get answered, and what happens is we go searching in different places to find the answers. And, and we want to look at seven questions over the next seven weeks of, of things that I'm sure we've all battled with. And some of us have fallen on one side of, of believing one thing because our mom and dad or our church or our pastor said it. And some of us have fallen on the other side because our sociology professor in, in the University of Alberta made a really good argument for something, and that sounds really good. But the, the reality, reality of it is, is that we need to come to an understanding and a knowledge ourselves to actually put in a personal conviction if that's what you believe or not. So today we're actually going uh, to tackle one of the questions that many people have battled with. Many people have decided to walk away from faith when they've hit a certain age because of it. Many people, when they search deeper and deeper and deeper, come to reality that um, it is more legit than ever. And today we're actually going to look at this question. Asking for a friend series, I want to believe, but I don't believe the Bible is legit. That's the question we want to ask today. So uh, as we do that, could we just... 
pray, pray briefly because there's no way that I'm the expert on all these things. Okay, I've been reading a lot and uh, I'm probably turning gray just from the reading that I'm doing because I, I, I like to read, but I'm not very good at it. I have to read things like three times over to just to, to sort of like digest it a little bit. So uh, let me pray so Holy Spirit can come in and, and take our talks for the next seven weeks uh, in a way that only he can. God, right now, would you move in our hearts, move in our minds, move in our, our lives so what we would uh, hear we wouldn't just take as at face value, but we would be inspired and encouraged to dig a little deeper in your name. Amen. So today we're going to look at, I want to believe, but I don't believe the Bible is legit. Many people doubt that God exists because they doubt the legitimacy of the Bible. They have doubts on his accuracy, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness. They see, the, they see the Bible as outdated, irrelevant, and mythological. Because, but because the Christian faith believes in the Bible so much, we believe that it is revealed word of God. And without it, we wouldn't know specific characteristics that we hold true to, to God's character. We wouldn't know the plan of salvation if it wasn't for the Bible. And people have a hard time believing in Christianity because of other doubts And one of them being the legitimacy of the Bible. And one thing I'm continually learning and I'm learning is that that our doubts and questions about faith and about Christianity don't have to be a wedge between us and God. Actually, our doubts and, and questions about faith can actually be something that actually attracts us to God. See, God's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of us questioning the legitimacy of the Bible. But what he does ask us to do is not just to take it at face value, but start digging in, not just Google searches, because you know you can find anything to agree with you and Google searches and you can find anything to agree with you on Babylon B and all of a sudden you're reading this stuff and you're like this is not true what the heck and but all of a sudden somebody puts up a good case for an argument and we start believing it but the more that I I, the closer I get to God the more I learn about it is the fact that that he actually encourages us encourages us to step out and to find the facts for ourselves So when somebody comes to me and says, hey, Pastor Lauren, I was at church on Sunday and the, the music was great and, and Jen and Jackson, they led amazingly and the music was cool, kind of weird, but kind of cool. Um, and your talk was very motivational, but I have lots of questions. See, I was, I was sitting in university and, or I was sitting with a friend and they brought up this idea that the Bible is not real. It can't be trusted. And, and their argument sounded really good. And I would ask them and say, well, are you just believing them or are you believing it for yourself because of something that you found out? But I also see it on the complete other side where I, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home where my mom was a saint and, and, and my dad tried. <laughs> mom, I know you listen to a podcast every single week. So don't tell dad because I know that he doesn't listen to them. Watch now, this will be the one that dad will listen to. I'll have to like apologize next week. Sorry, dad. But I've also seen it on the other side of it where I've seen people grow up in the church and believed everything that the Bible said because mom and dad said it was true. Or that, they, that a pastor stood on a stage and they said, well, you have to believe this. And, and they get on the other side of it and they, they don't research and they don't search and they don't look at the legitimacy of the Bible for themselves. 
And actually the relationship that they're pursuing is actually just sort of this, it is this mythological, I think I'm supposed to believe, but it's never actually tangibly took heart and gripped them on the inside. So there's two sides of it. So I hope that today that we can actually look at the legitimacy of the Bible, that if you're here and you're a Christian and you're kind of like, I'm not sh- and there's times that there's doubts. I hope it solidifies our faith a little bit. If you're here today and you're kind of like, I don't really believe in the Bible, I hope that we encourage you to go and search, but I hope that there's something that we say, some, uh, some research, some number that we throw out today, you will actually come to believe that this book is real. And if this book is real, would you allow it to change your life? If we can prove that the legitimacy of the words in this book can be trusted, would you be willing to put your trust in what this book says. Questioning the legitimacy of the Bible is is nothing new. Actually, in Luke 24, Jesus is just recently back from the dead. We're going to celebrate Easter in seven weeks. Start inviting people. Start getting excited about our Easter at Discovery. But in Luke 24, Jesus approaches a group of his disciples Now, Jesus was crucified and he died and and he rose again, but not all of his disciples knew that he came back. They were feeling defeated. And this is what Jesus says to them. He comes upon them. He says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, when Jesus talks about the prophets, when he's here on earth, what what we record in the New Testament, when he talks about the prophets, what he's actually saying is, hey, do you believe what the scripture says? Oh, foolish ones, do you not believe what the scripture, what the prophet says? Because we look at prophets like Isaiah and Nehemiah. And so, oh, foolish ones. So essentially he's saying that, that his own disciples weren't believing. So if you're here today, man, you've been a Christian for a while and you still at times can't believe what the Bible says, don't worry. Some people that walk with Jesus had the same issues in believing some of the legitimacy, legitimacy of the Bible. But Jesus responds to his own disciples by giving them evidence to prove they could trust the Bible. And Luke 24, 26 to 27 says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things even then and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all prophets, he exclaimed to, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. But this is what's really cool is that after Jesus showed the disciples evidence, their doubts turned to faith. And I hope today that some of our doubts can actually turn to faith. And over the next 20 minutes or so, I want to look at four areas that many people argue against the legitimacy of the Bible. And I hope that we can unpack them enough, unpack them briefly enough that will inspire you to go home and to dig a little deeper, but inspire us enough to say yes to faith or yes to strengthening our faith. And the number one way, or one, one way is many people believe that the Bible has been mishandled and the original context has, has been changed, lost, and manipulated. Now, if you ever came to someone and they, they said, man, the Bible, the Bible has been mishandled, I, I, I kind of wonder where they would get this, this argument because historians, 
If you actually look at people that study history, historians would actually say that the Bible is the most, if not the most reliable and credible document in history. This is what ancient Jew scholars would do, okay? When they, were, when they were rewriting manuscripts of the New Testament, they would sit in a really dark room, darker than this room, okay, a completely dark room with a candle on a table. So there was no distractions. There was no kids running around. There was no TV. There was no Raptors game. There was no Oilers game. There, was, there, there wasn't even the Edmonton Eskimos playing and there wasn't a ballet on. There was nothing. It was just them with, with a candlelight and the scripture and they were transcribing it. There was no distractions. But to, to make it even a step further, what would happen, they would actually have two uh, Jewish scholars or scribes standing over their shoulder looking down as they would write out the scripture to make sure that they weren't making a mistake. And then after the fact, when, when they, after they, they finalized the manuscript, what would happen is that all three scribes would take, uh, all three scholars would take it and they would initial it. They would sign it. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if, how many people are engineers in here, but when you put your signature on something, it means something. You're not putting your signature on a, on a document or on a drawing and saying, well, I, I think it will hold up. I think it will work. No, when you put your signature on something, it means something. Actually, you can actually be taken to court if something fails and, you, and they, they prove that you, that you weren't due diligent in it. You put your signature on something. So you think about how important it is for an engineer to sign a document. Here is three people signing Manuscripts of scripture. That is why you can actually find manuscripts of the same scripture recorded 500 years different in time in a totally different geographical location and it'd be nearly identical. So when people say that it was mishandled, that, that it, was, it, was, it was changed, I have a, it's really hard to, to believe it because the fact of the matter is, is that there were three very educated scholars that would transcribe it and sign it and, and send it out. That if we actually look at the people in our society and trust them when, when they're, you know, educated and they have four doctorates and they're teaching universities and they're, they're, they're having open art surgeries and we trust all them. These are the same kind of level of individuals that would have been transcribing the, the Bible in its original context. And we trust all these doctors, but we look at sometimes the Bible and say, well, I don't trust them. Their, 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 their smartness or their, their legitimacy wasn't as big of a deal. Well, the fact is, is we probably need to look at human people as, as the same, right? We trust doctors, we trust lawyers, we trust educated people today. We should be trusting educated people of 2,000 years ago. A second argument that people make is that many people believe that the Bible contains contradictions and mistakes. And again, this comes down to where are we getting all of our information? Is it just one-sided we need to be challenged to look at both sides. If you were to do a project in school and it was, came from all one side, your professor, your teacher would say, well, let, what, what, how did you get to that argument? How did you get to that conclusion? And if you never actually battled back both sides, your conclusion is, is swayed to be all one-sided and not accurate. So, but this belief that, that um, 
if the Bible contains contradictions, comes a lot from things that we've, that we've read. But there's a book that's called Misquoting Jesus that claims there are 400,000 errors in the Bible. Now, once you hear that number, 400,000, that, that is a big number. 400,000 is a number that just shouldn't be swept under the rug. And if you were sitting in a class and somebody made an argument and saying, hey, there's 400,000 errors in the Bible, my red flag would go up and say, how can I trust that? And so many times we just, again, take people at their word or take people at their opinion instead of saying, hey, 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 professor, how did you get to that 400,000? Well, can I tell you how this gentleman got to his 400,000? I love the music coming from over here. Our kids are learning about Jesus right now. It's amazing. So if you, if, you have a, if you have a kid here or if you have grandkids, you should bring them because over here in this room, the gym next door, they're learning a foundation of uh, who Jesus is and their relationship will grow. So I'm back on. So how did it get to the 400,000? The guy that wrote Misquoting Jesus, I'll tell you his name in a moment actually looked at every little difference from one manuscript to the next. So if you were in the United States and I asked you how to spell color and you were an American, you would spell it C-O-L-O-R. But if you're Canadian and I asked you how to spell color, you would say C-O-L-O-U-R. So the guy who said there's 400,000 mistakes in the Bible would actually look at that as a mistake. Where we would look at it and say, well, that's not really a mistake. That's just an interpretation or a transfer of words. It means the same. Or if there was a punctuation maybe in the wrong spot from one to the next, it was a mistake. But not only to make it, take it to another level, then if that, if, if that manuscript was reproduced now 30 times for that one m- mistake, that wasn't one mistake, that was counted as 30 mistakes. Get what I'm saying? So if, if this gentleman used his own evaluating system that he used on scripture, he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus. His name is somewhere here. I don't know his name. You don't need to know his name. So if there, were, there, if there was a problem in Matthew 4 and it had been printed 30 different original manuscripts, the problem is not counted as one error, but as 30. Oh, here's his name. The funny thing is, is that Bart Herman, who wrote the book, if he was to use the same critiquing process on his book, he would come to find that there's 1.6 million mistakes in his book alone because there were 16 spelling errors and there were 100,000 copies produced. But he's one of the leading, argument, leading people that would argue that, that the Bible is not relevant. It can't be trusted because there are mistakes. And sometimes you have to put people's word against their own word and, and realize where some of the mistakes are coming from. And even though it might be spelling color differently, is it really a mistake? But when, somebody's, when people are trying to prove something, sometimes we'll say anything to get our point across, even on the side of Christianity. I've been in places where, where we will try to say anything 
to try to make somebody believe in Jesus. But it's better to say, hey, I want to love you. Come along in the process. Come together. Let's seek truth to find purpose together. And we, we can, we can we, when, when this is what's, when we allow arguing, arguing into, our, into our lives, guess what? We've just opened the door to, to Satan to come in. Because, you know, what? arguing is not always the way that we want to do things, Right? There are people in our, in our city, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools that just are looking for something. And the fact that somebody can say there's 400,000 errors, honestly, it would raise some concern until you start digging past the surface. How did he get to this 400,000? How, how did he get to saying, man, it's completely, just throw it out the window because there's so many errors. It's easy to believe when it's framed from one perspective. A third way many people believe that, uh, the third way is that many people believe that the Bible can't be trusted. When documents are looked at, when ancient, uh, ancient writings are, are written about and, and studied, There's a few things that people say that you can come to an agreement with that can be trusted. And one of those are the number of manuscripts available of a particular document. Essentially, the more writings that are, that are available, the more accurate it can be because you can compare one document to another document to another document to another document. But if there's only one document, you can't really... You can't really uh, put it up against something. But if there's two, then you can compare it back and forth and see if there's any contradictions or mistakes. And you can put three together and, and, and four together and five together. And the more that there are, the, more, the better it is. And if we compare the number of New Testament manuscripts to other writings that are, uh, that are um, accepted as accurate, we find that the Bible is the most trustworthy set of documents in the entire ancient world. For example, there's a guy by the name of Thucydides I Googled that like five times how to say it. So I'm probably still not right. Thucydides lived in four, he lived between 460 and 365 BC. And he wrote about the Greco-Roman culture. And most scholars would say what Thucydides reported in his writings are historically accurate. And if you actually look at the number, number of copies of writings, there are eight. Thucydides, there are eight copies of his writings. And the earliest writing transcribed, after, uh, transcribed 1,300 years after the event of which he wrote. There's another guy, uh, Aristotle's Poetics, they were, were written 1,400 years after the original documents, and there's five copies. And both of these ancient writings are actually considered to be accurate. And maybe with, even within universities and, and scholarly uh, levels of study that they're considered accurate. So we have eight and we have five. Guess how many New Testament copies there are? 25,000. That's the greatest number of documents in existence. So I find it really unique and hard to comprehend and hard to understand that so many people would believe uh, 
I'm not saying that what Thucydides said is not accurate about the Greco-Roman world, but I find it really hard to say, well, we're going to believe eight copies that were written 1,300 years after the original, and, but we're, we're going to throw 2,500 or 25,000 copies out the window and say, well, that just doesn't make sense. There, it, it's, it, 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 ah, I can't trust that. But the crazy thing is, is that we trust it and it's written 1,300 years after the original document. The first full recording of Jesus' life in the New Testament is proven to be written at 770 AD by St. Mark. That's 40 years after Jesus' death. Can you remember the time, 1991, when the USA and Canada was, was kind of in war together? And can you, can you remember the time that, that the US Army actually flew in fighter jets over the parliament building in, in, in Canada and dropped bombs on, on our, our parliament hill? Can you remember that, how devastating that was for our country? Can you remember 1991? Some of you are like, what? What's he talking about? It's like, that never happened. Exactly, that never happened. But if I was living a thousand years from now and I wrote about something that happened past a thousand years, there would be nobody around to, to, to sort of fight or argument, argue that, that that didn't happen other than looking at books and happening at recordings. So the fact of the matter that 25,000 manuscripts that, that were transcribed about Jesus' life 40 years after, in my opinion, would crumble if it wasn't true. Think about it. That's, that's 25,000 people writing about Jesus' life. There were still people living and breathing that witnessed Jesus' life, witnessing his death and his resurrection and all of his miracles, that if it wasn't true, don't you think somebody that was still living saying, hey, that didn't happen 40 years ago? What are you talking about? And somebody else would say, yeah, 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 I was, I was around then. I'm just essentially saying, you would come to me after and say, 1991, that didn't happen, Lauren. I'd be like, oh, no, 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 it did. How, how, how much validity would that argument have? It wouldn't have any argument. It wouldn't have any, any, any tangible uh, takeaways because there are still people living. But the fact of the matter is, is that the gospel is still written about and people are still making accounts of it 40 years after the fact of Jesus' death, resurrection, and transcending into heaven. And people are still writing about it and believing about it. And people are not saying, well, it's not true. Because one of the other main arguments that people, people have is that there's too much space between, between the original writing and the next writing. Between when it happened and, and when, it, when, it, uh, decide, when it was written about. But again, we stand and we say that we believe in Thucydides and his Greco-Roman writings and that was 1,300 years apart. But we can't stand and believe that the Bible is accurate When there's only 40 years between the death of Jesus and being written, and there's 25,000 copies found.
Number four, one of the main reasons that people don't believe or want to believe in the Bible is because it demands something personally that they don't want to do. See, we may have shown up here today because of a social media post. May have shown up here today because you're supposed to come to church on a Sunday. May have shown up here today because you feel good because the Oilers won yesterday. You may have shown up here wondering why we believe in the Bible. I think it's because of the black bound gold trim. It's probably the biggest reason. No. But you may, be a, you may have been a church kid. Maybe you're a skeptic today. Maybe you don't really understand it. And we've been reading the Bible and instead of the Bible actually being freeing and life-giving, we've been reading the Bible and it's been a burden. Not from a point of like, it's hard to read, but the things that we read in there, it's sort of heavy on us. We've been reading the Bible incorrectly. See, when we read the Bible, we think that it's about us when it's never about us. We think that it's about our moral life and what we can do for God. And in that belief, in looking at reading the scripture like that, the weight has crushed us. We read it and feel like we have to do all these things to please God. And God knows we've tried. See, we, we've tried not to steal and we've tried not to lie and not to gossip and not sleep around and not steal. But, but we have failed. See, the point of the Bible isn't about us at all. The point of the Bible isn't about you. It's not about what you can do for God so he will love you and save you. The point of the Bible is all about what Jesus has already done. The point of the Bible is to bring you freedom. From cover to cover, there is, there, there, Jesus is, is throughout this whole thing saying that, you know what? You can't do it on your own. That's why Jesus came to existence. Mark Clark writes it like this in his book. He says, you and I are not brave like Moses or David or Samson. So God had to come to be brave for us. That's why Jesus came. God doesn't save you and use you because of you, but in spite of you. And that is the most liberating news of all. That is the good news of the gospel. We say it many times that we're imperfect people in pursuit of a perfect God. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And if we're reading the Bible and, and we look at, well, I need to do all these things. Well, can I tell you what? If, you, if we're, we're living in religion, when we look at all the things we need to do to make God love us. The fact of the matter is, Christianity is not about religion. Can I stand on the stage and say, I hate religion? I know that Christianity is, is, is uh, put in that in, in our cultural context, but I'm not about religion. I'm about relationship. See, religion says that you have to do all these things for God to love you. 
of relationship says that Jesus has already done it all. And that I don't obey out of duty. I obey out of delight because I get to. I don't got to. The choice is ours today. So there's an argument that's very real on why many people don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in Christianity. And we unpacked a little bit of it today in 25 minutes. And I know that that's just scraping the top. But I hope that some fact or something we said or something we did today resonated in your soul to know For one, that what is written in here is accurate, it's trustworthy, it's been tested, and it's still something that's so life-giving and life-changing. There are so many questions that you may have about faith in Jesus. Can I encourage you to explore those questions for yourself? God is not afraid of your questions. Rather, He welcomes them. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and be sure to never miss an episode. If you find these talks beneficial, would you rate and review them? That would help others get connected to these kinds of talks. Have a great day. We can't wait to hang with you again next week.